Thank you for dropping your anchor with HarborCast as our Harbor family continues to glorify and enjoy God together. You asked the questions, and now we look forward to getting to know Him better through Scripture and Christ-centered interpretation. Uh, welcome again to another uh, HarborCast, the official podcast of Harbor Church PCA in Mooresville, North Carolina. Um, I'm back with my friend Ben, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about contentment today. I'm actually really excited about this topic. It's just been near and dear to my, my heart for a very long time. Um, so, Ben, why don't you describe to us just a little bit about uh, what we're going to be talking about today. I'd be glad to. And just as a way to confess publicly, I think contentment is one of most challenging aspects of my Christian world, personally. My, mine as well, absolutely. I, I can just confess that discontentment oftentimes creeps up in my soul in so many ways, yeah. and it's a respectable sin, isn't it? Right. Because it can disguise itself as being ambitious, right. and oftentimes it may actually be a sign you're not content in Christ alone. Yeah. So that's what we want to explore today. Yeah, yeah and I think our American culture particularly has no patience for contentment. In fact, our entire economy is based upon discontentment. Discontentment, yes. Right? Um, 100%. So everything today is disposable. Everything we have to, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is any iPhone you have, any Android you have, whatever the next model is, it it didn't really change much. But we have to right. have a new phone every year, don't we? That's right. We have to have There's a new model every single year. year. Maybe greatest, twice a year. The latest, yeah. at least. And so we really want to explore, first of all, what is contentment? I think it would be good to define it, first of all. So just an online search with Webster's Dictionary defines contentment as feeling or showing satisfaction with, and note this, one's possessions. This is the very first right, thing. Right. Status or situation. Yeah. So just based upon that, you know, what's your take on, on that definition? Would you modify it? or? Yeah. I mean, from a biblical perspective, it really goes to about... Happiness. I don't mean happiness mm -hmm. in, in the sense of a, a fleeting emotion, but uh, what are we savoring? Um, what allows us to be happy even though we are in a position where we might be tempted to be sad or angry? Um, so it really gets down to the Westminster Shorter Catechism number one, right? Was chief end of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And enjoy Him. Right. And yes. so... And I glorify him by enjoying him. And so uh, contentment really gets down to, is God enjoyable enough, good enough, mm. trustworthy enough for me to be happy within him, like in him, Yes. in spite of the fact that my kids are thrown up, the, the uh, 77 is backed up, um, I'm not making headways in my career, um, my relationships don't look the way they do, or any number of other things, yeah. right? Or maybe perhaps things are just kind of boring right now. Yeah. So I love that, uh, how you pointed to the catechism and right. uh, John Piper's slight modification. I, yeah, I'm a, right. kind of a fan of that, yeah. I am too, and I, I really wrote that down too as we talk about that, because I think that's, that's really the crux on which all Christian contentment relies upon, right. is to glorify God. That is the chief end of man, can we agree? Yeah. But how? By enjoying him forever. And so what I love about Piper's perspective on his book in Christian Hedonism mm -hmm. is that he marries the two, our insatiable desire to be satisfied right. and God's ultimate goal being glorified. That they're not 
juxtaposed. They're not right. they're not they're fighting not each other, right. but actually alignment with the two leads to both yeah. and God glorified and you satisfied. Yeah. And and in fact I think he's right in executing that shorter catechism question where he says it's one end. There's one end. Mm-hmm. There's not two ends, not there's two one ends. end. And and I think that it's important too to to focus our attention on Christian contentment is that. Worldly contentment would say things like, well, you should just be grateful. Right? Sure. Be grateful for I like I've seen I've seen podcasts about this, I've seen YouTube videos about this and TikTok videos about this, and heck, you go to Hobby Lobby and you'll see the word gratitude, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the world wants us to be thankful for our stuff from our from some deity that's out there, or, or it, it's never really particularly named, right? Yeah, we could even say there's a trend of minimalism yeah. that's happening right now. Right. And I've seen YouTube videos to your point that uh, people like, I decided to sell everything I had right. and become simplified. So right. they thought that that would actually lead to greater happiness right. in having less things. But is that a Christian thought? Right. Because it's still, it's still happiness in my things, yeah. right? Or, ha- okay. It's less it's, things and less hassle of those things. Right. Or maybe right? it's not, I'm not going to take any pleasure in my things, but I'm going to just take pleasure in my people, right? My family. Okay. That's great. I'm appreciative of that, but you, you, your spouse, Honorable, your kids. Respect, respectable. And yeah. Like, like your, your spouse and your kids, they're not always going to be the, um, the font of all joy. Uh, and right? joy, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I am not the fount of all joy for my wife. No. Um, uh, so, so even there, you know, the, the question is, can it's really the question that Job had, right? Um, what if everything was taken away from you? Mm-hmm. Is God still worthy of worship? Still enough and right. worthy of worship. Right, and that's mm-hmm. what he says, like, naked I came into this world, naked I leave. Blessed be the name of Blessed be the right? name of Yes. Um, so I, I think that's where... Christian contentment is unique compared to all the rest of the, the world's answers mm-hmm. to contentment. As, as admirable as some of those things as are. As admirable right? as they are. Because one either elevates the person, the possession, or the position of life right. to yep. my God right. and the source of all joy. This one thing, if I had it, then I would be happy. Right? Right. So prestige or, 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 or person. the love of my wife or yeah. the love of my kids. We, we elevate that to that person, that thing, whatever it is, to God status. Right. And that's essentially idolatry. And what's the flip side are the result of it is emptiness. Right. And I've seen plenty, um, both in my own life as well as the people that I've ministered to, I've seen plenty of people who something happened and the thing they thought was solid is no longer solid. Yeah. They thought that their kids would always love them and all of a sudden they've turn for some reason, or, reason maybe, yeah. or whatever else, right? Um, I mean, so I, I think I think you're right. Uh, we need something on more solid ground. Absolutely. And, and that has to be the Lord, right? It must be. Yeah. That's where we want to bring in um, the 16th century Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs. Yep. He's a bit of a subject matter expert on finding contentment in Christ, and he wrote the book, Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Yeah, I brought a uh, uh, sort of... Uh, uh, object lesson here. Yep, I've got my my copy as well. Um, it's been well worn. Well worn. Um, yeah, mine's digital, but if it was physical, be well worn yeah. as well. And I just this is a man I keep going back to. He's written other works called Saints Happiness, the Excellency of a Gracious Spirit, Saints Happiness Sermons in the Beatitudes, and Learning to Be Happy. So he he also had his hand in helping among the the rest of the assembly to crafting the Westminster Shorter, Larger, and Confessions. I didn't realize so, that. Yeah, he was. 
he was he was in the thick of all that. Yeah. He was a man that was pursuing joy and God and God alone. Mm -hmm. and that's really what we want to get at today. So bring me Ambrose from the 16th century. Some of the things that we've learned from him we'll bring up today. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first question up is, um, you know, as as we consider what contentment is, something Burroughs wrote was, a contented man is contented in God alone. So we've alluded to that. Right. So, Pastor Michael, what would you think about that statement as it relates to culture's idea of contentment and how Christian contentment may or may not be the same or different? In other words, it goes back to what we were already talking yeah. about. What's the difference between worldly and godly contentment? Yeah, yeah. I think we've almost sort of already answered, answered the questions. Mm -hmm. um, it's... If you're content in the Lord, that's Christian contentment. That's Christian. If you're content in something else, that's not contentment. That's worldly yeah. contentment. Yeah. And that's, I don't know if this goes to some of the questions that you may have later, but uh, it, it's something that I want my kids to learn, right? So um, in, a, in another podcast, um, uh, depending on when this airs, it'll be future or past, so we'll see. But um, I'm going to be addressing the topic with Tyler about why we pray before eating a meal. Yeah. And it's not to make sure that the meal doesn't poison us. So the point of praying before a meal is to teach our hearts to be thankful to the Lord and to have gracious hearts. So that when things... So I am grateful when I have steak and potatoes, and I am also grateful when it's... Well, let's see for me. Beans and rice. Beans and rice. I like beans and rice, though. <laughs> oh, that's something you don't like. Okay, I got it. I... How about this? I will not tell you the meals that uh, I don't particularly like because that, that, that may <laughs> upset the chef. Yeah, that's the right. <laughs> yeah, I understand where you're going with that. Yeah. though. It's a gracious heart, and that's actually something Burroughs talks about a lot in his book. He he refers to the gracious spirit or gracious soul, and his by his own definition, the gracious heart is a kind of mindset that says, "No, I don't need God to take away." these distresses, take away yeah. sufferings and afflictions to be happy, or give me that thing, like a, like a genie out of a bottle, I, w I have right. three wishes and these right. are the three things I want, uh, a beautiful spouse or handsome spouse, a great job, and grateful children. Mm -hmm. It's rather, he says, it's not those things. He says, instead, it is to say that it is enough to find contentment in God and Christ alone yeah. through his empowering grace and sure promises to sustain us in the midst of tribulations and trials. Right. So a question for you would be, what's your thoughts on that? And, and can, a, can a Christian find this joy? Is it, is it such a secret or can, can that be achievable in this life that has bumps in the road and ups and downs? Yeah, I mean, I, relatively, yes. I mean, absolutely, perhaps not. Sin is always going to be a factor. But I think he's absolutely right that we tend to think from a worldly perspective, like you said, if only I had fill in the blank, mm -hmm. right? Um, what Jeremiah Burroughs says, one of my favorite um, lines of his, he says, you know, the, really the secret to, um, to godly contentment is not by way of addition, but by way of subtraction, right? Because it's by subtraction that all the distractions that would keep us from Christ are now gone away, so that all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Yeah, it's sort of like, you got a candle in the middle of the room, but if all the lights are on, you don't notice as much. But if all the lights go down, there's Christ in the middle of it. The focus is on God. Now, that's hard, right? That's a hard reality yeah. because we don't particularly want to live the life of Job where everything was taken away. Right. 
And so I, I think in some ways, if assuming that most people who are listening to this are doing pretty well, you know, a little bumps and you know and whatnot, but um, you're doing pretty well. If you're if you live in America, you're doing better than ninety percent of right. the entire I was world. The right? Same thing. Like yeah. if you're in the USA. You are pretty much I, living like kings. I literally live better than King David or Solomon. <laughs> I literally live better than that, right? Um, it's hard to imagine. But, um, you know, so for, for the most part, I think what the Lord wants us to learn is to be to be grateful and content without having, without having to have all those things taken away, right? Yeah, that's so, a good question. Be, are the, do, do I care more about the benefits of God? Right. Or... God alone. Yeah, it, it, to, to quote Piper again, one of my favorite illustrations of his, um, because it just struck me for that very reason about contentment. He said, you know, imagine you die and you go to a place where the temperature is perfect, the, the, you know, the weather is perfect, it has all the foods you ever wanted to eat, and you don't get fat, you don't get full, right? You have rice and beans there for you. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There'll be pumpkin pie and coffee. Um, uh, you have all the people who you ever loved or wanted to have there, right? You get to do all the activities you ever wanted to do without any of the danger, right? So you fill in the blank, all that stuff. But Christ isn't there. Is that heaven? Mm. And his, his, he's absolutely right when he says no. In fact, the absence of Christ is hell. Yeah. Um, I, th I think he's getting to the same thing that Jeremiah Burroughs is getting to and the same thing that Paul is getting at when he says, to, to live, for me, it is Christ. It's Christ, yes. I get, I get Christ right now. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. Mm -hmm. Also, to die to is die a gain. Yeah. Because oh, either can't way, lose. I'm with Christ. Right. You can't lose. And so I, I think it, it's, the, it's the same point. The point of the Christian life is to point us back to Christ and to enjoy him and by enjoying him, glorifying him. Yes. Everything else after that, it's it's cherry on top. It's whipped cream, right? Yes, absolutely. It is. It's mercies. Mm -hmm. God's right. many mercies. So one thing I thought it'd be helpful to clarify is a conversation I had with my son recently, and it's about the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus, yep. right? And, yep. and Jesus, knowing his heart, knows the one thing he's going to touch on mm -hmm. that he cannot let go of. Yeah, I so, think Tyler preached on that a couple weeks right? ago. Yeah, and yeah. so it, the question is not, do you sell all your things and then you go to heaven? Right. But I, that's what I want to explore is what is Jesus really getting at? And, and is Burroughs talking about, well, if you just subtract all the things, then you'll actually find happiness? Because that's, again, hearkening back to the cultural idea right. of minimalism. So could you make a distinction in what's going on there? Yeah, well, uh, for I guess the big picture that I would say is, well, if if you take everything away but you're not glorifying Christ, then you've gained nothing, yeah. right? You've just lost everything. You just lost everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, illusion of happiness you you had is definitely gone. Now. Yeah, that's right. It's yes, and you're still left empty because it was an illusion of mirage before. That's right. Yeah, um, but you know, when it comes to the rich young ruler, the the point that I think Jesus was making was to say it, there may come a time when you have to get rid of all your stuff. Hmm. Now what? Right, that's kind of the question for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that he doesn't ask that question of um, of his other disciples, um, but he does ask the question of this particular young man. Right, right, Jesus again, knowing his heart. That's right. He knows his heart, so he's he's pushing him in the direction mm -hmm. of of saying, 
now I'm asking this of you, right? There may be times in which uh, God may take everything. God may take, or He might take something particular, right? Yeah, something um, that's very dear to us. I mean, you know, what parent doesn't, you know, have, you know, half sleeping nightmares about kids being gone yeah. or spouse being gone right. or, or whatever else, right? And mm-hmm. the Lord wants us to grow in such a way that I, I've always used a kind of illustration of sort of holding something with an open hand, mm-hmm. right? You still possess it. It's still there. It's a good disposition. But you're not grasping it like this. Yeah. That means God can take it away at any moment. Yeah. And everything in my life ought to be like that, yeah. right? So That's, hold loosely. Hold loosely. Those things of earth. Love but, them. Love them sure, yeah. while you have them. While you have them. Mm-hmm. But cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. With a death grip. Yeah, because he's clinging to you, right? Thank God that yeah. because I have <laughs> right. go. Yeah, right. And uh, right. if it depended on us and our strength, yeah. who could save us, right? Yeah, and, and you know, from some of the people who I've had to counsel, there have been some who have gone through incredible amount of suffering. Yeah. And something that I tend to try to point them to is to say, I know that this is a hard thing to hear, mm-hmm. but right now you're actually being given a gift. Because there are very few people who have to wrestle with the things that you have to wrestle with yeah. right now. And while it's sort of the gift that nobody wants to get, at the same time, there is a blessing in that they have to cling to Christ in a way that some people never have to. Yes. And that's because of circumstances. They right. were never forced to on their knees to pray and right. seek after God. So in, such the, fervency. In, so in light of eternity, right, who was more blessed? Right. Not the second person who never really had to struggle all that much. Mm-hmm. Because they only, not to say they're unsaved, but they didn't get to savor Christ as much right. as, as Job did. I think we can look to many suffering saints throughout history, and some more modern ones. Uh, one voice that's been a help to my wife has been Benita. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she actually wrote an article on Desiring God, and some of the questions she brings up, uh, Benita Risner, was very helpful. Mm-hmm. I thought we bring these yeah, up. Yeah, sure. Because she here's a woman who's suffered greatly. I think she has some post-polio mm. and basically from what I'm reading of her bio, 21 surgeries by age 13, years in hospital, in the hospital, verbal and physical bullying from schoolmates, multiple miscarriages as a young wife, death of a child, and then the debilitating uh, progressive disease yeah. I was alluding to. Here's a person who's suffered immensely and her faith has been Shaken and all kinds of tossed left and right. And some of the things she brings up in this article was these very telling questions of where is our hope lie? Mm. What, what, is, what are we really seeking contentment in? And here's some of those questions, and maybe they will help you as an audience ask yourself in your own heart in prayer. So first one is, can we be still and know that He is God when everything in us wants to fix the situation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, you know, a couple of weeks back when the Christmas series when we were talking about waiting, waiting yes. right, is uh, honestly, we were talking after church uh, uh, one Sunday about, about that very thing that yes. um, I know is a bit of an overstatement, but I'm kind of thinking maybe it's not, but I would almost say the chief exercise of faith is waiting, mm. right? Because it's it's where our faith meets the fallen condition of this world, right? And it's waiting absolutely requires trusting in God. Um, because we can't fix it. <clears throat> because you can't fix it. Yeah, we're going to continue to live in this condition. 
of sin nature, but Christ is bringing that promise of yeah. future renewal. Yeah, and what it does, it brings sanity, to be honest with you, in some of the things that we do, right? So so then it's no longer about... Exercise and futility. Right, like, it, it's no longer about what can I do to fix this, but what can I do to be faithful... And glorify God in right. this thing. Yeah, it, that's that's hugely helpful. Absolutely. Um, so you mean there's a reason I clock in every time at 8 o'clock and don't leave till 5? Yes. And everything I do should be done to the glory of God? Is yes, that what you're saying, Pastor? That's pretty much what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Yeah. Why? So that God may be glorified. That's right. And so it brings purpose to our work. There's right. not a, it may be mundane, but it's not purposeless. Right. And so we can't fix it, and we're waiting on the one who can. Right. Or even even just prayer. Prayer is a type of waiting. It right? is. Which I'm going to be preaching on in a little, a little bit. Um, uh, actually, we're kind of recording it now in, in December, so I'm about to preach it. But when this airs, it'll be weeks past. But uh, prayer is one of those chief ways of waiting. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's anything that... That is the opposite of doing something in terms of action. It's prayer. Yeah. And it's the one the thing that is absolutely necessary for waiting on the Lord's yes. prayer. Right? Yes. Hmm. Well, teach us to pray. Yeah. Because, I mean, inaction is getting on our knees, closing our eyes and bowing our heads, and mentally praying or speaking out loud to the Lord. Yeah. What, what action is being taking place right now. I, I'll tell you... As Am I doing anything productive to, to my to, to my shame, like, there have been times where I have caught myself starting a sermon, and I thought to myself, I should really pray about this. And then the thought goes by my brain, yeah, but you don't have time for that. Don't have time for prayer. Uh, <laughs> and then, then it hits me, and I'm like, oh, dang. Yeah. So there might be a problem in thinking we'll be more productive than God. When God is bringing about all his good plans and purposes, and no man can thwart those plans. Right. So I think another good question Anita brings up is, can we wait for God and be satisfied in him alone without insisting on an outcome we want? Yeah. Right? Because that's the thing. It's not wrong to ask. And that was the thing I brought up after that sermon, Mm -hmm. right? I said, hey, Pastor Michael, is it wrong to ask God for things? Is it wrong to ask for a raise at work? Is it wrong to ask God to grow our family? when we've had miscarriages before? Right. Is it wrong to ask God to help this day go well? Uh, right. my, my son, his prayers are very simple. It's, yeah. Lord, help me have a good day today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it wrong to ask that in childlike faith? Um, or, or is there something different about the asking and then the demanding an outcome? I think that's. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, um, yeah, I mean, Jesus tells us where to knock, and knock incessantly, right? Like the illustration that he uses is, imagine you know, somebody's out of bread, and so they're asking a neighbor, and they just kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door. They won't stop until they get what they want, right? So I think that's, it's right to be persistent, um, but it's wrong to to tell God, you need to give me this or else. God, you owe me. You owe me. Yeah. And I think we see that very pervasive in Christian church today, at least Mm -hmm. in America, is a prosperity gospel right. that teaches you do this for God, and God is obligated now right. to reward you for those efforts. Yep. And and either one of two things is wrong if that doesn't happen. Either you did something wrong, you didn't have enough faith. Didn't have enough we, faith. we have a family member who mm-hmm. that blew up in their particular their face because somebody had cancer and they didn't, didn't get God better, didn't right? Them or something. Right. right. Or uh, opposite, which is well, God didn't hold up His end of the bargain, mm-hmm. right? So either way, it, it brings destruction. It does. Yeah. And this goes back to, again, being content in God alone, mm-hmm. 
or contented in his benefits and his gifts, right. which are many out of his abundant mercy. Yeah. And that was another question I had too is, uh, is it oftentimes we, we should go into prayer with the mindset of, Lord, I know I am not, I don't earn this by praying. I, I am not deserving of it. My, I deserve mm-hmm. condemnation for my sinfulness. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a disposition of prayer we start with. God, you are God, not me. Yep. We should pray, Lord, your will be done, not mine. But then also, Lord, I do pray, God, you bring about this thing mm-hmm. that I hope will come out to the outcome I wish. It's yep. it's a hard balance, but I think it's it's a heart disposition that says mm-hmm. I must be dependent on God. Yep. Uh, it, I uh, in December uh, preaching a um, sermon on uh, Nehemiah and his waiting, and he he does that very thing in his prayer. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, he starts, he's grieved by the fact that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and disrepair, right? And so he prays. And in fact, he prays not just once, but there's three months between, roughly three months between when he hears it and he's praying and fasting and when he actually talks with the king. And so it seems like he's constantly praying about this. And the pattern of his prayer is exactly that. It's, Lord, I know who you are, right? Yes. And also... We've sinned. We've sinned. It's an right. acknowledgement of our sin. That's right. And how undeserving. And also, I remember you made some promises. So make your promise true yeah. by you know repairing the walls. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's exactly that. It's dependency on God and His promises right. to come true on His promises. Right. Which honestly, if if it makes sense of you know what what would you how would you want your kids to ask you for something, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you want them to? whine at you or scream at you or say, you better give me this or else? Or or do you want them to say... Or be cruising for a bruising. Yeah, that's, that's right. The way they're yeah. coming at it. Like, <laughs> Dad, you know, Mom, Dad, I love you. Uh, and I'm really sorry. I have not been a particularly obedient son or daughter. But I'd ask you to consider this, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're more apt to, to give that because you know you're hearing their heart. You know, you're hearing how they are not being presumptuous, mm-hmm. how they're they're taking their kind of proper place as a, as a child mm-hmm. rather than trying to become a parent, a parent. of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, so in closing with Burroughs, one of the things he offers insight into the Christian life, and in spite of the sufferings we go through as, as the Christian's walk is often played with many bumps and unpleasant detours, right? He says that by our default self-sufficient natures, we would be more dependent on ourselves and have no dependency upon the Lord. Right? That's that's everybody. That's right. universal. Right. And he says, if we had it our way, we would all be independents. Mm. But here's my favorite part of his of his statement. But God sees it better for his people to live in an independent condition. Mm. And what more yeah. way to be dependent on God than in prayer? Yeah, and that's where you find contentment. You know, if you find yourself itchy for something else, mm-hmm. you know, um, God wants you to be dependent upon Him. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Well, will you close us out in a word of I, prayer? I would love that. Seeking God's dependence. Yeah, let's pray. Um, Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, for who you are. You are all wise. You are eternal. You are sufficient for all things. You're enough. Lord, you're enough for us, more than enough. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw our hearts to you in glorifying and glorifying you. Lord, that you would fill our lives with contentment. Lord, that we would be happy in you and 
so that that would overflow into things that we have an experience, Lord. Even the hard things. Lord, teach us contentment at whatever cost, because contentment teaches us to love and Thanks for joining us. Thank you again for dropping your anchor with HarborCast. Please visit us on the web at harborchurch.org for more information about what we believe, what we do to serve our community, and how you can get involved in our mission here in Mooresville. And finally, follow HarborCast wherever you listen to podcasts. May the Lord continue to equip you to share the good news about Jesus.